Hey, if you're excited to be in the house of God, why don't you make some noise this morning? Come on. So exciting. It's so exciting to be in the house of God with you, and I want to look right in the camera and welcome all of you joining us on our online community. It's kind of a tradition here. We like to welcome everybody joining us on the other sides of computers and tablets and screens all over the place. Five Stones, will you put your hands together and welcome your church family this morning? We know that you might be someplace beautiful on uh, Memorial Day weekend, but it's not as good as it is here, so haha. Um, we, we do miss you, and we're glad that you're joining us via online. And I want to take this opportunity to look right in the camera and just let you know that over the next few weeks, you saw that little bumper, we're going to start a brand new series called At The Movies. It's going to be so much fun. You're not going to want to miss this. We're going to eat popcorn and candy and drink soda in church. Come on, somebody. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to watch movies. I'm going to pull out a biblical message inside the movie. It might not be like anything you've ever experienced before, but I promise you, we're going to have a whole lot of fun. But I do want to let you know, if you're joining us via our online community, uh, we will not be streaming these. Due to copyright laws and uh, the way that works, we will not be able to show these online. So uh, this is one of those series you have to be in the house to experience, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun. And just wanted to let you know about that. But today, we wrap up this two-part series that we started last week called Recharge. And we're looking at all of those things that Scripture says there are some things, according to the book of Hebrews, that have a tendency to entangle us, right? That can, that can hinder us, some things that keep us from running the race that God wants us to run. And we're looking at throwing those off. And, and so last week, we talked a little bit about being this, this feeling of being overwhelmed. And so today, I want to talk to you about something else that has a tendency to creep up and, and, and hold on to us. And it's something that I think that, that we need to explore on how we can, we can live the life that Jesus called us to live. And it's one of the promises that I believe Jesus gave us that we are not really experiencing. Not many of us are experiencing very much. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, or it'll be on your screen. It's in your notes today. This is something that Jesus promised us in Matthew 11. He said this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, weary and burdened are not typically words that we, we tend to say a lot today, right? So weary is just this concept that I'm just, I'm tired. I'm weary, I'm tired. And burdened is this idea, this concept that we have got so much to do and there's just a limited amount of time to get everything done. And so if you were to take those two words and instead of saying weary and burdened, you were to use busy and tired, it would sound a little like this. Jesus is promising you this. Come to me all who are busy and tired and I will give you rest. Now if you were to take those three words, busy, tired, and rest, which one of them would best describe your life? Now, if you're like me, it's probably not the word rest, right? It's probably busy or tired but that really describe us. The truth is, there's, the, there's like this intense exhaustion. The more I talk to people, the more I pray over your prayer cards, the more communication that I have with people in this day and age, it's like this intense exhaustion that's going around all the time. And sometimes it's an exhaustion because you got just a busy season. It's a busy season at work or it's a busy season at home. But, but sometimes, even on like the chill days, that there's this like low-key exhaustion. Have you ever noticed this? It's like I feel just every day I feel just a little bit sleepy. I feel a little bit drained. I feel like a little bit obsessed about some of the stuff that I have coming up that I need to get done. And it's like every one of us are always perpetually in this state of, of feeling like a little busy and tired. And, and as a result, we go through our day and we can almost just barely make it through our days. 
And so I think a lot of us are experiencing this, and so many of us go to this place where it's like, well, if I can just get to this deadline, like if I could just, just a month and a half, and I can get on that plane, and I can head to Mexico, and I can get on that vacation, right? And if I could just get to that, then everything will be okay. And it's like this, this concept that, that if I could get to that vacation, I could get refueled. If I could get to that moment where I could take a break and just stop for a minute, then I get a break from, from work or from school or from my family or, or you name it. And, and so as a result, all of us end up making these little deadlines for ourselves. And it's like, I, if I could just get to that one place and, and the end of the workday hits and you stumble into your vacation, and what do you feel like? You feel like that, that Iron Man competitor, right? That's just, this legs are shaky. You're barely crossing over the finish line. You're just exhausted and you get there and then you spend that week. And boy, now you're feeling pretty good. Everything is going pretty good that week. You spend a good week on vacation. Then what typically happens is you get back to work. And after that first full week back at work, what do you feel like? I'm exhausted again. Like, I just can't wait to get done back. And then you run to the calendar. You find this moment where, where in the next year I can, I can have that, that moment off. I can have that week. And you circle it on the calendar. And then you're right back into the same pattern and scenario over and over again. And we just hear this so many times of people living this life where, where you're just tired and exhausted. And, and as a result, um, I think so many times we end up creating for ourselves these little moments, these little miniature deadlines that we can get to. Like if I could just make it to five, eight, five o'clock, if I could just get it to the, to the vacation day, if I could just get to that graduation, if I could just get to that retirement. And what we end up doing is we're kind of wishing our life away. We're kind of white knuckling it every single week, hoping that we could just get to that place where we could get a little bit more time off and not feel so tired and so busy. Is it just me, or does, is that not how life kind of feels like? It, 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 everybody that I talk to says, man, that's exactly what I feel like. Now, why is it if Jesus said that if you'll come to me, even if you're busy or tired, I'll give you rest, why are we not experiencing more of that rest? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because the truth is there's thousands of reasons why you could feel exhausted and tired. But I think one of the main culprits that, that we see over and over in this life, one of the main reasons why we feel that way is because of work right? You got to eat to live. And if you want to buy those groceries, you got to work. And if you're going to work, it, sometimes work is just exhausting because you got all that inner office conflict, or maybe you got overtime hours and, and you keep finding yourself in this pattern where it's just work and work and work. And, and it's so difficult. Maybe you start to feel to yourself, I've got to climb that ladder. I need to get to that certain pay raise. So if I could get to that place, then I'd be happy because then I'd be able to get all of that stuff that I need to get done. And then for those of us that have families, if work wasn't bad enough, we just turn around, we go home, and then home is exhausting, right? Like you got all this stuff to do at home. You got to clean the house. You got to do the dishes. You got to clean the laundry. Somebody's got to mow that grass. And then you got to take her to soccer practice, and the other one got his head stuck in the doggy door. You know, I mean, like it's just like regular life. It just happens to us. And you're looking around going like, man, it's just over and over about this, and it becomes exhausting. It becomes this life where we're, we're, we're just constantly looking for an opportunity to sit down and rest. And then added to that, within the last 15 or 20 years, I think there's this thing that exists that is, has come to light that is like the cherry on top. It's like the icing on the cake. When you're talking about this feeling of exhaustion, this is this thing that, that kind of sends us over the edge. There's something that was created about 15, 20 years ago that started becoming popular that, that really, I think, is the thing that's sending us over the edge. You know what it is? The smartphone. And I know what you're thinking, like, oh, gosh, you're going to beat me up on the smartphone now. But the truth is, phones, I think, are making us more busy and more distracted than ever before. 
In fact, there's, there's, you know what scientists are calling this age right now, or historians are calling this age, they're kind of sarcastically calling this the age of distraction. And I think there's some accuracy to that. I think that's true because we have the infinite internet at our fingertips 24-7, and we're constantly being distracted by this thing in our phone. We're, we're constantly being told that we could just escape. You can escape from work, and just for a minute, you can escape from work and check your social media. And then once you get home, you can escape from home and, and get a little work done. It's constantly this thing that, that's in your pocket 24-7, and it's just calling out to you, just escape. And it's sitting there going, bzz, 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 right? There's this little, little red dot that is, that is constantly right there that I'm looking at that I need to check this. I need to look. I need to see what's going on, and it's distracting us. And so as a result, there, there's all kinds of this, this feeling of, of, of being distracted, and you're never really fully present in the moment that you're in. And so what's interesting to me is that the, the scientists are, are looking at this and, and they've got all this data that backs it up. The truth is with the, with the birth of phones, with cell phones, came with it kind of this understanding. It was this social understanding that you are supposed to be available 24-7. Doesn't it feel that way? Like, like everybody has got to be available. You got to be available like when you're at work. You got to be available when you're at home and you're at the dinner table and you're trying to eat. You got to be available while you're driving. You've got to be available while, while you're, you're in the bed. Like you've got to be available 24-7. And I think part of the problem is text messaging. Like text messaging, when it came out, it, it created this culture where we're, we have to be available all the time. I'll never forget. Like if you're old, if you're a young person here today and, and you, don't, you don't know this, there was a time when phones were just on the wall. I know that sounds bizarre, but like you just talk to somebody with gray in their beard and they'll, they'll tell you. And, and so like if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to take it off the wall. And I'll never forget, come on, old people, my parents got the really long cord, you know, so you could really walk all the way over to the house and talk to somebody. Like that was a great day because I could walk all the way across the room and close the door and actually talk to somebody. If you're young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. At one time, that was the only way that people could get in touch with you. Like if you were sitting at the dinner table, I remember my dad, the phone would ring and he'd say, well, just, we just let it go. He wouldn't even say anything about it. It would let the, the, the voicemail pick it up and we'll get to it later. But that is not the way it is now. I remember when cell phones really started to explode on the market, I was sitting in a, a restaurant with my brother. This is 20 something years ago. And we were sitting there. We had just gotten flip phones. Come on, somebody. That's how old I am. We, the, we were flipping out, man. We had the flip phone. And then my, my brother, I was, I was, we were talking about how they had this new technology that you could do. And it was, um, if you wanted to send a message, I'll never forget. We were talking about this. And we said, you hit the number two like three times. And then you could hit the number five like three times. And then you go to number six and you hit it two times. And if you, you, it was like a weird word problem. It, weird word math problem that I hate. But if you could do all of that, you could spell out the word hello, and then you could hit send and send that to somebody. And I remember laughing and I was thinking like, why would anybody go through all that effort just to send somebody a message when I could just pick up that phone, that same phone and, and call them? And now 20 years later, I've completely flopped on that issue, right? Like, I mean, I text everybody all the time. That's all I do. I'm 24-7. I'm texting you something. And honestly, if I get a call, I'm like, what happened? Is somebody on fire? Like, am I the police? Why are you calling me? You know, is that not how we are? See, the, the phones kind of set up this culture. It kind of gave us this this understanding that, that you have to be available constantly. You're constantly available at any time of the day. Like, like, there's no time in the day that I ever think, well, I probably shouldn't text this to somebody because maybe they're tired or uh, trying to rest with their family or something like that. No, at, at no time do I think about that. 
Like I, I would, but I have, I have no problem sending, so like my brother, I'll text him at midnight, hey, have you seen this video on TikTok? And I'll just shoot it to him. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. I would never in a million years get up, hop in my car, drive over to his house in the middle of the night, knock on his door and say, have you seen this video about the cat? You know, I'm like I would never do that. But we don't have a second thought about texting one another and we will text each other at any time of the night. And, and here's the other thing, we expect a pretty quick reply, right? I'm like, I'm the only one, like, you don't leave me on red, you know, like, we expect that we're supposed to talk to each other in this way, and I think it's this concept that makes us feel so busy and so tired. We're looking around at our life, and, and it's like these agents of distraction are constantly making us feel this way, like, like, because after a distracting day of work, I'll get home, and then what do I do? I typically try to unwind on the same thing that I've been, that's been distracting me the whole day, right? I will sit there and unwind on my phone. And the truth is, is that according to what the scientists say, it, this is not good for your brain chemistry. We are not designed by God to have this much screen time. And it's not just our phones. It's, I'm not even talking about like Netflix and computer screens and everything else. But, but because of the, the constant input and stimulation in our brains with video games and Netflix and cell phones, it, it's doing this stuff to our brain. We're getting these dopamine hits that we can't handle. In fact, the scientists are all but begging us to stop doing it because it's like the way that we unwind is the same thing that is, is causing us the distraction in the first place, and it's super unhealthy. In fact, the American Public Health Association is calling our screen use a, quote, growing public health concern. It's almost like cigarettes. Like there was a time in our culture where, where it was socially just acceptable. That's what you do. You smoke cigarettes until scientists realized, hey, that, that, it's actually really, really bad for you. And then they started speaking out against it. Well, now they're starting to do that about cell phones. They're starting to say, hey, listen, the, the cell phone is kind of dangerous. In fact, they've got the, the data to back it up. Look, look at this. This is what I found. They found that the average American spends 5.4 hours on their phone every day. Some of you are like, weak sauce. Like, I'm blowing those numbers away, right? But, and this doesn't include TV. This doesn't include screens or anything. It's the average American, 5.4 hours a day. The average American is spending six, they're going to they're gonna check their phone six times a day. An average of 11 minutes of your life every day spent checking your phone. And that's not even like the, what they call heavy cell phone users. These are just average. In fact, of millennials, 13% of millennials will spend 12 hours on their phone every single day. We're addicted. We are addicted to our phones. And even if you just use the average person, that's just the average, that's roughly a third of our life looking at that little screen. I mean, think about that. You could pick anything else and you would say that was an addiction. Pick milkshakes, right? Like if you worked with a lady that every 11 minutes was going, oh, I could really go for a milkshake, right? You'd say, cool it, Peggy. You've got an addiction, right? But we don't think about that with phones, right? But our, our phones, we're addicted to it. They're like adult pacifiers. That's what it is for me. Can we just be real for a minute? Like, like it's an adult pacifier. My sister used to call it my, my, my pacemaker. Because she's like, you can't live without that thing. And it's true. I, I think, like, you know, if a baby, if you had a little baby and they were getting antsy or irritated or they were feeling a little, like, bored, what do we do? If they start crying, we pop that pacifier in their mouth. That's what we're doing with our phones. We're looking at our phones constantly because I don't want to numb myself. I don't want to 
to feel those things. I don't want to think those things. And so I can just take it out. I've gotten so bad, and maybe this is just like therapeutic for me, but I've gotten so bad, like I will stop at a stoplight and immediately take out my phone. And if I didn't find any emails that I had to answer, I'll start, I'll get on TikTok or something. I'll start watching until I, and, and like, I see your faces. You're like, yeah, me too. I'm totally, it's like, hi, my name is Tom. Hi, Tom. Like, like all of us are having this problem with our phones. And there's got to come a place where we realize this and, and start realizing that that phone that is offering you that escape is not really helpful. It, it's not helping you at all. And, and you, you can dive into the intense world of the Internet, the endless, infinite world of the Internet on videos and, and on the news cycle and on emails and Candy Crush. I don't even play that game, but, but people are doing it. They're just spending so much time. And so the, the, what's happening in our culture is, is that this promise for rest is being taken up by our, our cell phones, by this distraction that's happening to us. And as a result, we're not really feeling rested. You know, I, I've often said this, that I, I firmly believe this, that the devil, if he can't get in front of you, will get behind you and push real hard. Because your phone is, is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. And it's ruling many of us. And I think the enemy is using this as a distraction to keep us from experiencing the true rest. And so, so many of us feel so, so busy all at once. So, so my answer or my question to you today is like, well, how do you do this? Like, how, how do we actually experience real rest, real physical, spiritual, and emotional rest? Well, the answer is actually an ancient word. It's an ancient word that has been used by people for generations, and it's the word Sabbath. Now, if you're not familiar with the word Sabbath, Sabbath is, a, is an ancient Hebrew word that, we, that comes from the word Shabbat, which means to rest. And I wrote this down in your notes. If you're a note taker, you should write this down. This is all Sabbath is. Sabbath is a weekly day of rest. Sabbath is a moment where you say, I'm going to take one day, one day a week with no work, no distractions, and just take a load off and enjoy God and his creation and the people that he's put around me. Now, the first time we see this concept of Sabbath, of real rest that Jesus wants to give us, is actually in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. What's interesting to me about this is this is before mankind fell. So this is before any sin has fallen and, and we've broken our relationship with God. This is actually imperfection. So in the middle of perfection, while everything perfect and we've got great connection with God, God says, you know what I think would be a good idea is if you just take one day a week and just enjoy me and each other. In the middle of perfection. Now what ends up happening is, is humanity stops trusting God, we sin, we fall short, and what ends up happening is, is we start living in this fallen, broken world that we are currently living in today. And so what God does is in spite of all of that, he says, okay, I'm going to give you some, some guidelines. So I'm just going to give you 10 rules that you need to pay attention to that as you walk into what's called the promised land, this is going to help you. It's going to be just some guidelines, and we know them as the Ten Commandments. And they're found in Exodus chapter 20. And so God is preparing his people to come into this promised land. And out of these 10 commandments, these rules or boundaries, you're, you're probably familiar with most of these, right? Um, which one of these do you think would get is, is the most explanation? Would you, you think maybe murder or, or adultery or stealing? Nope. Uh, interesting to me enough, interestingly enough, the commandment for Sabbath gets the most real estate. The most words spent explaining how anything works is this one concept. And this is what it says in Exodus 20. It's the fourth commandment. It goes like this. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any uh, foreigner residing in your towns. In other words, if if somebody's going to come over and, and hang out at your house, they're not even allowed to work on that day. And here's why he says we should do this. Verse 11, he says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God says that we're supposed to work. God likes work, by the way. God, God's a worker. He, he works, and he wants you to work. In fact, one verse says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. God wants you to work. In fact, he says, I want you to work all week. Six days, you should work, 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 rest. That's what he says. He says, but on that one day, there should be one day where you and anybody that's under your responsibility, in other words, your spouse and your kids and your employees, he even says, even your animals, like even Fido is not uh, exempt of this. Like everybody that's in your house needs to find one day where they just rest. One day where, where, where you just stop laboring and stop working so hard. And the truth is, he says this even in perfection. See, even in this moment where everything was perfect, he says it's a good idea. It's a good and holy, perfect thing for you to rest. And the truth is, we get, we get so much explanation about Sabbath that we don't get of the other commandments. All of those other commandments, he doesn't talk about much. Like, like you shouldn't murder. That's about all he says. He's like, don't kill each other. Okay, good talk. Right? But then when it comes to Sabbath, he starts giving us this incredible explanation. And, and here's the reason why. I think God knows this is the one commandment that we'd have the easiest time breaking. This is the one commandment out of all of them that we'd be the most tempted to break. It's like murder and stealing and adultery and lying. Like we should obviously pay attention to those. But taking one day, one day of intentional rest to do nothing but enjoy the presence of God, he knew that this is something that we would have a difficult time doing. Because we, he knows that like, we would be like, who could do that? Right? There's too many things to do. There's too many things to see. I've got to buy too many things. I've got to watch too many things. There's too many emails to send. There's too many stuff that I can do. Who could just spend an entire day doing nothing? And then as a result, this Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments that we break all the time. We will break it constantly and not just break it, we'll brag about it. You ever notice that we do that? Like we, we will say like, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm, man, I'm good. I, I've been working a lot. Yeah, you're working a lot. Man, I worked all week, hadn't had a break. Yeah, you, man, I can't remember the last time I had a day off. We would never brag about breaking any of the commandments like that in other ways, right? We, who would ever say, man, how's it going? Man, so good. I've been adultering so hard. I have been cheating on my spouse like every day. You know what I mean? Like, man, you want to talk about stealing. I am stealing, right? Nobody brags about that, but this is exactly what we'll do with Sabbath. We will break it so easily. It's because we don't, I don't think we get it. I don't think we understand what Sabbath was built and designed for. From the moment that God created Sabbath and gave it to mankind to the moment that Jesus came on the scene, something interesting happened. Mankind started creating all of these different little laws and, and started putting these guidelines around it. In fact, when Jesus came on the scene, the Jewish people had, had taken the concept of Sabbath and they made it so complicated that they built all of these extensive rules and regulations for it. In fact, Jesus would come along and, and, and he, would, he was actually doing some things on the Sabbath and it was making him real, real mad. Because the Sabbath was meant to be this holy, perfect day. And so these rule keepers, right, these religious elitists said, you can't do that work. And they were really mad at Jesus because Jesus would take time and, and he was working on the Sabbath. Now I want to be clear, he wasn't like, like, you know, earning a paycheck or doing some stuff around the house. He was performing miracles, 
Now, the, the, the Pharisees completely blew past that. They, they lost sight of the fact that Jesus is performing miracles. They would look at that and say, wait, but look, he's working. And they got on to Jesus. They were like, no, no, no. If you said that you're going to be God, you can't work on the Sabbath because the, the Sabbath was made so that we don't work. That's why we put all of these rules and regulations in place so that you can't do anything on that day. But I think what they were missing was the fact that Jesus was actually trying to teach us something by the miracles that he was performing. It's actually really interesting to see. We have four accounts of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in every one of these gospels, we see the miracles that Jesus are performing on the Sabbath day. And in them, there's actually seven. Seven different miracles that Jesus uses, or that Jesus performs on that day. And every one of them have to do with one thing. Guess what it is? Healing. Every one of the miracles that he performs on this day had something to do with healing somebody. He heals a crippled man, a possessed man, Peter's mother-in-law. He, he heals a man with a deformed hand, a blind guy, a crippled woman, and someone with a chronic disease. Every single one of the miracles that Jesus performed on the day that he wasn't supposed to be, do, be doing any work had to do with healing. In fact, I think Jesus is teaching us something about the Sabbath through his actions. It's number two in your notes. It's, it's this. Sabbath is about healing. That's what the Sabbath is about. A weekly day designed by God for healing. Not earning God's attention or jumping through a bunch of hoops or, or trying to go through a bunch of stuff. Sabbath is all about healing. See, the thing is about Sabbath, it's the thing that makes it good and perfect and holy is that somehow God uses this one day to bring us rest and heal us. To get us healed from the constant demand of your time. To get us healed from this hurried pace that we're in. And over and over, as Jesus did this, um, the, 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 the Pharisees would get really upset about this, and they started getting on to Jesus. In fact, one time Jesus, I guess he just had enough of it, because he turned around and he said this to him. He said, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God didn't create this day so you could go through one more spiritual loop. So, so you could just jump through one more spiritual hoop and get these rules and regulations down. He was trying to give you something that would heal your life. And he was trying to say, look, this is a good thing. There's whole denominations that say, listen, it's got to be on this one day, and it's got to be this certain way, and this is how you got to do it, and it's more rules and regulations. Let me tell you something. Jesus came to fulfill the law. In fact, Paul says, don't let anybody tell you there's a, it's got to be on a specific day or a, a certain holy feast. Jesus took care of all of those things. But it's not that. It, it's God trying to give us something that can actually refuel us, recharge us. And so the number one thing that he wants us to do is to have this day where we can totally rest. So what does that look like? Well, if you're going to do a Sabbath in your house, you have to decide what it's going to look like for you. And let me just recommend this. This is something that, um, can I just be honest? I, I am not great at this, okay? I am working on this. I had to, this last two couple messages, I have, the Lord, I had to preach to it myself first, get beat up, and then just turn around and send it over to you. Because this is something that it's kind of, kind of challenging for me. I'm a driven person. You might be a driven person too. And you might feel like, man, how could I take a whole day and do nothing that just doesn't make a bunch of sense? But I'm telling you, it will heal you. Now, now my family is working on three rules when it comes to Sabbath. Here's the first thing that we do. We, these aren't in your notes, but this is just what we do. You can incorporate this in your life or, or figure out what's best for you. But the first thing is we have to spend it together. We're going to spend it together. Here's the second thing that we're going to do. We're going to do something that we love. Okay, we're, we're going to do something that we enjoy. And here's the third thing, and this is the part that we are really working on. We're going to put our phones down. We're not going to stare at our phones. We're going to enjoy each other's company. 
These are three simple rules that help us to try and get to the rest that God wants for us. And so on Sabbath in my house, we do the things that we love. So we go hiking or we go to the park or we ride our bikes or we do something together as a family. And, and, and what we do is we, we put our phones down. You'll find, you'll say, parents, you will say yes to your kids more if you put your cell phones down. Because they say, Dad, can we do this? And you're not looking at your phone. You're not trying to escape anymore. And you say, well, yeah, well, what else are we going to do? And so you end up saying yes to more things, which makes your, happy, your kids pretty happy too. And, and so we, we start doing the things that we love. We sleep in, we take naps, we read books, we do this stuff that we like. And, and we just chill out. Maybe we chill out in a hammock or something in the backyard. We, we, we take the kids to the pool. We enjoy each other's company. And not only do we do things that we love, we don't do things that we hate. Okay, if you're going to Sabbath, don't do the stuff that you can't stand doing. Like, like, like if it's, it, it, I heard this one guy, he got in trouble because it was a Sunday, and, and that was what some denominations are like, man, this, that's the Sabbath day, you shouldn't be doing any work on that day. He was mowing his grass, but he likes mowing the grass. And so the guy yelled at him, and he's like, well, I'm doing what I love. Like, can I do this? Well, and the truth is, is like, it, you can do that. If you like doing that kind of thing is a refill for you, not like it's, it's like something that you got to get done. If that's fun, do that. Like, it's not for me. You can come over to my house, and I'll let you mow my grass on the Sabbath. It'd be great. If you like it, come on over. I got plenty of stuff for you to do. But, but you're making sure you're doing the stuff that you love and you enjoy, and you're not touching the stuff that you don't like. And so, in other words, on a Sabbath, you let the dishes pile up. You don't do the laundry, ladies. I mean, like, and, and so I can see some of your faces are like, man, I, I don't know. Because if you're a, a different personality type, you, that might make you more stressed than anything. It's like, I, I don't like, I like my house to be clean. I like my yard to be mowed. And, and so I can't just not do it that one day. Well, for you, what you might need is what the Jewish culture has been very, very good at. Now they've taken the Sabbath to a weird and unhealthy level, but they do one thing really well. And they, they know that the next day, the, the day of Sabbath, they're going to have to rest. And, and they're, they're so serious. Over in Israel right now, you can't even, if you went on a, a, an elevator, you can't push the light that has the elevator because the scripture says you can't even burn a candle. So they're like, well, that's like burning a candle. And so on the, on the elevator, what, what they have it set up is on Sabbath day, they will walk into the elevator and it just opens and closes on every floor so that nobody has to push a button and, and do any work. See, they, they have set up a culture where they're ready for the next day. It's called the day of preparation. And if you're going to experience real Sabbath rest in your life where you actually do this and incorporate this into your life, you, you might have to take a day of preparation. You might have to work doubly hard the day before so that you can rest doubly hard the next day. If you've got, a lot of people have two consecutive off days in a row. Some of those days on that day, before your Sabbath rest day, that's the day you do all the, the work. You, you, you cut the grass, you, you mow the grass and cut the lawn, and then the, uh, you do the dishes and you mow the, the grass. And uh, I got a lot of grass to mow in my house. I feel like I'm just kind of venting on the grass thing. But, but like what you do is you work on that whole thing and you get yourself set up for the next day so that the next day you can rest. And this is, this is an area that I have a lot of trouble with. I have, I'm having to work on because anytime that I think about something, you might be personality like this too. I think about something on my day that I'm supposed to be resting, and I think, man, I got to do that. It's a quick email. I'll just shoot it right out. Or, or this one real quick thing that I do. And, and as a result, I end up getting wrapped back up into it. So on my Sabbath, what I do is I just make a note. I remind myself, hey, do this tomorrow or the next day. And, and that way I don't have to do it. And that one day. So the, the truth is, many of you might be thinking that. And in order to get this really done in your life and, and manage that thing that you have to get done, you've got to be really, really intentional, intentional on it. And can I be real honest with you? Here's the thing. If you're having a problem with this, like if you're sitting there thinking like, man, I don't, I don't really know if I could do that. 
Like, I, I don't know if I, if I have it in me to actually take an entire day off. Here, here's the truth of the matter. Number three in your notes, the Sabbath will reveal where you trust God the least. That's what Sabbath will do. Sabbath will, will show you where you trust God the least. There's a, a scripture in the book of Psalms, and, and I don't know if you know this, but many of the Psalms were meant and designed to be sung. They're like lyrics in a, in a song. And it's this verse in Psalm 46.10 that says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. I think that's the best way you could sum this concept up of, of Sabbath. It's just being still and knowing that, that God is God and I'm not. And, and whatever area of your life that you're thinking, man, I don't know if I could do this because if I don't do this, then that will happen. If somebody doesn't manage this, then this will happen. If there's an area in your life where you keep thinking about that, it might be revealing to you this area where you don't trust God because God's kingdom is backwards and it's upside down and it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's like giving. God says, if you'll trust me with your finances, if you'll give right? I can do more and you can do more together with the less, with 90% than you could do with the 100%. So if you'll trust God with your giving, God ends up doing more even though you have less. It's a kingdom principle. The same is true with Sabbath. If you'll trust God in these areas where you say, well, God, how can I have enough time in my week if I actually have less time in my week? The answer is, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Somehow, supernaturally, miraculously, God will end up giving you more time at the end of your week if you just trust him with it because his kingdom doesn't work like we think. And so doing this thing is saying is the best, most accurate way of saying, God, I trust that you're God and I'm not. I'm going to be still and know that you are God. He says the other six days of the week, you could work as hard as you want. You got six other days to spend time worrying about your future and trying to manipulate things so you get those desires. To, you got six days of the week that you could spend thinking about the kids and where they're going to go to the college and all of that other thing. But he says, on one day, just one day, I want you to get to a place where you just trust me to set it all down. And if you can't do that, you need to pray about that. Because if there's an area of your life, you're like, God, I just can't do that. I cannot take one whole day. Then it's revealing an area that you're not trusting God in. The truth is all of this eventually burns down, right? The only thing that lasts, the only thing that, that's going to keep going on is your relationship with God and other people. And so there, if there's an area in your life that you should probably stop struggling in, it's this concept where I need to Sabbath. You know, I worked in a, in a church for years. It was a little country church, and, and they had a mouse problem. Um, and, you know, some of these little country churches have it. It's like little field mice would, would come into the building. And I'll never forget the way that the, the, the exterminator was to get rid of them as he put out those glue traps. You know, those like really kind of archaic, rough things. You know what I'm talking about? Like they got the glue trap on. What they'll do is they'll put like peanut butter or, or, or cheese on the glue trap. This is kind of gross. But um, the, the mouse will get on it and they get stuck, right? Have you ever seen one of these? Come on, I'm not the only redneck that knows about this stuff. Okay, so, so like they would have these little glue traps. And I'll never forget, I came in to the church one morning and this poor little mouse had found its way onto the glue trap. And whatever peanut butter or, or, or desirable thing that that mouse would have wanted was right there in the middle. And it ran onto the trap trying to get it. And I'll never forget it because it was stuck there with its mouth just almost around the peanut butter. It was like, <laughs> it's just, it was just, poor thing was just right there stuck. I'm sorry, like Peter's going to get onto me or whatever. But like it was stuck there and it couldn't move. And I felt so bad for this little thing because it, the thing that it smelled, that it wanted, that it desired, that it was running after was, was almost at its grasp. 
Like it almost got to it, but as a result of striving so hard to get to that thing, it found itself stuck. And the more that it struggled, and the more that it tried to break free, and the more that it tried to get that thing, the deeper in the glue that it got. And I just, I, like, it was in that moment that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. I mean, it was so weird, such a weird thing for God to speak to me in that moment, but I thought, what's happening here? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is just like we do. You're running after this thing that you think you want so desperately, this bit of peanut butter that you think that you could just get. If I could just get that one little thing, then I'd be happy. And what ends up happening is we struggle and we strive and we strain and we get deeper and deeper and deeper stuck in the glue to where we can't even get out of it. And the thing that we wanted so badly ends up being the thing that was going to destroy us. And the, tr the truth of the matter is, is there, was, there was only two ways for that little mouse to get up out of that trap, right? The first way is to keep striving and striving and struggling and, and fighting and working until its little heart just gave out, which sadly was the case for the little mouse. But there would have been another way if it hadn't done that. And that way is to stop struggling and stop striving and some allow someone to reach down and wash off all the junk and stop running after the thing that he thought it wants so much. Can you see ourselves in this? Just stop struggling and straining and striving and give over that control over to somebody that has the power to do something that you're not able to. I think in this life, it's, it's so many times what we end up doing is we're struggling and straining and, and, and doing everything in our power to go after this thing that we think we so desperately want just to find out it's the one thing that was designed to destroy us. Sometimes the enemy will use that. And, and maybe that's where you find yourself. And this concept of, of Sabbath, that if you were really honest with everybody, you would stop, if you could just stop long enough and create a rhythm in your life where, you're, where you have a work balance with rest and you find a moment where you can just truly give God control over your schedule, over your calendar, and over your life.